Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Hi everyone, I'm Joanna. And I'm Jenny. And this is Hyphenated, the podcast about living in the hyphen. How are you, Jenny? <laughs> I love how you're automatically laughing before I give an answer. I, I'm just tired. I feel like tired has become like my personality trait. You know how some women have babies and that's their new personality is like being a mom. I'm like tired and I just feel like that's enough for me to be like, I'm a tired person. Like that's just who I am. <laughs> I'm Venezuelan, I'm tired, and I love cheese. Like, that's that's it. <laughs> that describes me. Well, it's, it's especially the anthem of us invisible illness warriors. It's like, tired and inspired. Oh, God. Inspired? I've seen that on multiple t-shirts. That's exhausting. Yeah. I can't imagine being inspired, <laughs> honestly. I just, I'm just trying to get through, dude. Uh... Seriously. So, Jenny, I have a question. Mm -hmm. You know how a lot of people claim that I, I always read these interviews of people like I knew I had to be an artist or like I knew I had to be a comedian and like I knew I had to be a director and they always have this very epic story like well I was watching um a Hitchcock film and I realized that the tension that you know I saw on screen resembled the tension that I like whatever there's always this grandiose story for why you choose what you do and I've realized that every time I got asked that question, <laughs> I didn't really have a grandiose story other than like, yeah, I was like an anxious kid and I moved around a lot and um, I was bullied. So I just needed something. Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. that's not a grandiose story. That's just like context for who I am. Um, mm -hmm. What do you, like when you get asked that question in interviews, like what is your response? I wish I had a like a big moment, uh, like a big epiphany moment, but I just I just kind of don't. It's kind of like what I was that they like, just sort of didn't give me any other options and careers. <laughs> I think I, I do. I think I do have a big epiphany moment. Um, and it's really bizarre because the year that I was at my most mentally ill that I have ever been in my life. I'm talking the year that I would cry about going to school every day where I would have panic attacks during lunchtime, where I would beg teachers to let me go home, where I just was not okay, is the year that I discovered that I wanted to be a comedian for the rest of my life because for some reason I decided I'm going to learn three monologues. I won first place across the board and I got chosen to perform in front of an audience of 300 people. It was actually a very clever monologue about like a cheesy saleswoman trying to sell sn scratch and sniff Bibles. And honestly, comedy and acting is what saved me. Yeah, that's so, I mean, it's it's unsurprising that um, 
when people know what they want to do, especially in comedy, it's actually not a funny story. It's usually it's really tragic. Full, I like, know. Trauma. It was and like it was never like mm, I stepped on a bologna sandwich and fell on my butt. Like it's never stories <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? So this is actually a perfect segue uh, for our guest that we have here today. He's seriously one of the funniest people I I know and. He's one of the first people I met in the comedy community here in New York. Aton Levine, he has written for the New York Times. He has a podcast called uh, NYC is Dead. He also said it was very important for me to mention that he is on Hinge. <laughs> single and ready to mingle. <laughs> um, but Aton, welcome. Uh, we're, we're so happy to have you. Hey. Uh, I am like shaken in my sneakers because you've got some crazy stories and some crazy insights. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I really wanted to bring you on because I think much like us, you're someone that has had to sort of straddle being parts of different worlds yeah um and not just one so like tell us a little bit about your upbringing we kind of talked about what brought us into comedy what what sort of forced you into the world of comedy uh it was a christian speech telling competition <laughs> that i <laughs> whoa uh, <laughs> no i uh, i was i was born and raised like in a modern orthodox jewish household so i you know we weren't like hasidic i think like that's like a a big uh, thing but like we were like we shabbos and kosher you know went to like an all boys jewish school but like we were met fans and we had tv so like how you know how <laughs> How, like, segregated could we have possibly been? But then, I mean, honestly, like, um, you know, I, as the years have gone by since I've been in that education system and that community, I, you know, you're looking back on some of the stuff and you're like, wow, that is a, that is not a, that's not a okay behavior or like normal behavior or normal community standards and stuff like that. Um, like you're, so, when you're in it, you don't yeah. realize how yeah. weird it is until no. you, until you leave. Yeah. In it, you're just like, well, there's no women my age around. Uh, I guess that's normal. <laughs> yeah, know? it's kind of like it's kind of like when I went to college in the in the states, and I was like, yeah, well, oh god, I just got a call. Yeah, my aunt um, was held hostage in her house with all of uh, her kids and stuff, and whatever. It's fine. My mom is negotiating with police because they're the ones that that sort of are holding 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 her hostage. And I remember like the faces of my American friends, like, yo, that that's not fucking normal. And I'm like. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but right. It's like when you're in it, you don't think it's weird. I was telling some friends like I recently, this is the thing that it didn't dawn on me how weird this thing was until recently. But when I was uh, in high school, I walked into my ca uh, high school cafeteria and there was, uh, you know, all boys, non-Orthodox school. The principal gets up there and there's a guy like dressed in like Muslim attire. And mm -hmm. my principal goes like, hey, this is Muhammad, Muhammad. You know, we like to give you guys like other world perspectives and cultures. So like this is Muhammad. Muhammad's going to like speak to you guys. And he starts speaking and like a half hour into his speech, he starts saying like inflammatory things like, like, yeah, well, maybe a couple of Israelis do need to die. Or like, uh, you know, if they didn't want to get attacked, then maybe they shouldn't have taken our wall and stuff. And the people in our school, like the, the students start yelling at this guy and they're like, you know, like, you can't say that you're defending murderers. And then uh, the guy, Muhammad's yelling back, like, you're defending murderers. It took my hometown. And like Muhammad and the kid and like the students are like yelling back and forth at each other. And it's like getting really intense. 
And then Muhammad just goes, stop, enough. And then he takes off his Muslim hat and he puts on a Jewish black hat. And he goes, my name's Rabbi Rosenthal. And this is the David Project. Like what? What? Like it what? was like Jewish punked or something, and then we like had to go and like what? learn about Israel advocacy. I swear to God. Oh wait, wait, wait! I thought it was yeah. gonna be. I oh, the, I thought the, I thought the moral yeah. of the story was like, see, like, you know, I'm a Jew and I can also be hateful. It, yeah. it isn't that. It is. I'm no. a Jew and I'm pretending to be a Muslim guy. Look yeah. how bad Muslims are. It's the old Jerusalem switcheroo. Is what oh my I God. The old Jerusalem switcheroo. Is the classic oh. name. No, but like that was like a fucking thing. I t- and for years, it didn't dawn on me that this was weird behavior. Uh. For years, I was just like, well, that was uh, Rabbi Rosenfall teaching. There was, I mean, another thing I really, my, my sex talk. I didn't get a sex talk. The sex, this is the extent Same. of sexual education in oh my, my school was that one day, the principal took us into a room and he said, Okay, guys, we're going to be mature about this, all right? Uh, ejaculation must be held to the vaginal canal according to the Torah. Oh my I God. then gave us a 45-minute speech on not touching women. And, like, that was our – first of all, also, we hadn't met women yet. Like, this was <laughs> let, a, let alone a vagina or yeah. a vag- <laughs> vaginal I would have. I would have actually yeah. appreciated boys in my school being told not to touch women. That would have been <laughs> – that would have been great education – it was confused. It was, uh, to that point, the only thing we knew about them was that, like, they were the devil and we had to ejaculate in them. Like, I. Oh, like, my God. <laughs> it wasn't any. That is. That sounds like a great rap song. Yeah. They're the devil, but I must ejaculate. Um, <laughs> That's actually. The Devil's Ejaculant is my ska band. Actually. <laughs> oh, my God. Life is a highway, and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. I do think that, you know, Judaism for me isn't religious because I'm an atheist, but since my family, my dad's side, we just like were kicked out continuously from every country. We just aren't from anywhere. So we're just like, I guess we're Jewish because like what else? I mean, you're Venezuelan Jew. There's like 12 of you at tops. We're all (laughs) all related. Um, Yeah. yeah. So, you know, for me, I remember my grandfather. Uh, I was... Um, we, well, this we weren't in a um, synagogue in Venezuela because all synagogues in Venezuela are orthodox, meaning that women sit at the top yeah. uh, and men sit like where the action happens. Me and my grandpa were sitting at my synagogue at Washington D.C. and uh, we were reading a um, a prayer, and he leans over to me and he said, "Do you really think if God existed, he'd want this much flattery?" So that for me was a mm. moment of like, "Oh my God, my grandpa doesn't believe in God." What am I doing here? Do you know what I'm saying? It was just like a, oh, yeah. what? why and, are we here then? 
my, because of my personal like religious journey or whatever, like it took a while to get okay with me celebrating or just like observing Judaism in a way that wasn't so constraining and conflicted. Like being able to question the basicness of that stuff. Like Judaism lets you question a lot of stuff. But like the vibe, like questioning, like, does God really want all this flattery is more like, like the vibe that I think that you're not allowed to kind of question. In, in like, in orthodox environments? Yeah. Jews, like, I, I will give us credit because I think that we do, we are able to ask a lot more questions than other religions. But I think that getting okay with celebrating Judaism in a way that wasn't so constricting and, and you know, it just didn't feel suffocating and it felt like I was doing it wrong. You know, every day I felt like I was doing it wrong because I wasn't a good student. You know, like I went to like a, a Jewish day school and I was a bad student. Like I, you know, like I have like learning disabilities and stuff like that. And I've been fine since, but like, if you fail public school, you're just bad at math. If you fail Jewish school, you're a terrible person. Oh my God. You know, like, hmm. and that was like, you know, and that's wow. like a thing that like I had to reconcile with like for years, I could not understand why I had this chip on my shoulder for years and I took therapy to like vote, to like realize like why it felt like I was a bad person for for so long because I wasn't able to figure this thing out. Oh. So it's quite a jump to be in an orthodox, religious, uh, Jewish community and grow up there and then start doing shows at stand-up clubs in New York. Well, I started when I was 15. Was oh, my God. Yeah. I, was, I was in Jewish day school when I had started. And it, when I was younger, I had cancer. And because of that, I was like journaling a lot. And the journal, you know, like looking back on it, it was a lot of like just writing jokey paragraphs. And so by 15, I had, you know, written com comedy, whatever 15 year old version, you know, of, of comedy, comedy is. is. Yeah. <laughs> like it wasn't great. I think I had some, I think the, the uh, this is like, I, first of all, I think everything I said in that five minutes was probably going to be canceled like on Twitter nowadays. <laughs> Aton, I was going to say, how many of it was dick jokes? Because yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, and there you go. I'm sure there was a dick joke. I'm sure there was a dick joke. How could there not be a dick how joke? How could there not? <laughs> so I was doing comedy when, when I was like 15. And it was like, it was like away from my family. My family like just kind of knew that I was like gone certain days. And that was, and that was it. And then I kept it on doing it. Like it was something that I enjoyed and stuff like that. And then um, I went to Israel for a year and it won Israel's last comic standing in 2008. Wow. In, uh, which was like right out of high school. I don't know if it aired anywhere. It was, it doesn't feel like it, it uh, was a legitimate production, but you know, it was what it was. Um, you know, so I came back and I continued, I, I was doing comedy stand up, but I was um, performing in like Hillel and Chabad houses, like at colleges for a while. Which Hello uh, and Chabad houses are like Jewish student yes. houses, like uh, it's like kind of like a culture house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, the if you're a Jew on a college campus and you want like kosher food, like that's where you go. Depending mm. on the depending on the college, um, but yeah. So I was doing I would so it was weirdly I was like still doing like Jewish stuff, you know, like I was like doing Jewish comedy stuff, uh, but yeah. Uh, but did I mean? And correct me if I'm wrong. It you know comedy world is like oh there's a lot of jewish people in the comedy world um but it's the it's not the type of jew that is yeah. like religious right yeah. i feel like there's something inherently uh like contradicting yeah and i think that i think that also the big issue i always saw was that the religious comics that would come out there their material would be like my bubby ate a kugel and it's shabbos <laughs> happy hanukkah everybody <laughs> like it was just saying jewishy things 
with no substance at all. Very charactery. And like I I I I sound very Jewish when I'm on stage, especially when I get like heightened, you know, but I it, it was it's more than just like, let's see if I can say as many Jewish sounding ha words in seven minutes as possible. You know, which- I kind of see that in in a lot of like an Latin uh, Latino stand-up shows that is sort of like um bubbling right now um but it makes me cringe when i see like a comedian go up there and instead of just speaking their truth or thinking what they think is funny is what they should say they like harp in on stereotypes i was doing shows i've now been conscious of something where like if i'm doing certain shows like i performed i performed in like chattanooga you know a couple i guess like months ago at this point but when i was there i was about to go on stage at a club and very nice club, but the clientele is very Tennessee. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember walking up there being like, you're not going to say any Jewish jokes here. Like, I don't want them laughing at you. Like right. they're going to, they're going to laugh with you if you, if you are doing stuff. So there's been a weird like realization of like the audience, how the audience is perceiving you, you know, is how they're laughing at the joke. So if they're seeing, you know, Jewy McJew, the first Jew mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, in a month, then if I'm doing, you know, stuff about my, you know, about <laughs> <laughs> Jewy McJew or seen is my stage name, by the way. Let me just say, Jewy that. McJew yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but it was, it, there's a week, I, I experienced it a couple of times where I'm hearing people laugh at jokes and I'm like, oh, you're not laughing at that joke the way that I am laughing at this joke. You're laughing yeah. at that joke because you're seeing a Jewish guy on stage you know, uh, saying Jewish stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so Right. Yeah. Which is crazy how the same joke can be laughed with and laughed mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have, a, I mean, I have a joke about how my name is, is Aton and it's like a Hebrew name. And the joke is like, Oh, it means Christ killer in Hebrew. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but then, in, a room, <laughs> in a room full of like, yeah, New York Jews and non, it's like, I Oh, he's it. being, it's, it's a joke about how people perceive him. Yeah. But like the, you know, like I'm not, I'm not going to say the club because I don't think it's their fault. But like, you know, I know the cl- how their their clientele would laugh at at that joke and just be like, "That's a hilarious Jewish name," you right? Know? And laughing just, at the wrong part yeah. of the joke, yeah. Which is something Which, I've not experienced until this year. I and hmm. yeah. And I always say this. I say that being Jewish is like having an American Express card because it has incredible benefits, like amazing benefits. You're part of like a great club, whatever, but it's not accepted everywhere. Uh. And and like that's how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting. It's like it's interesting because a lot of people have told me I'm unable to comment on Venezuela because I'm Jewish, right? Because Jewishness is perceived as this weird amalgam of identities that it's overpowering and um in venezuelan QAnon, people started saying that the jewish people in venezuela were the cause of like you know the the horrific uh living standards there now the communism entre comillas in, in quotes communism socialism whatever that means for them and they started sort of posting about me and my dad being part of this like jewish uh high rule community a secret society that wants to put people down economically so that we can you know reap the benefits of capitalism with sorrows and i was just like are you fucking serious what like you guys should write lord of the rings man (laughs) like what that this is just some fable like it what a complex yeah. Uh, system you guys had to create to just somehow make 
the Jews at fault for what's happening in Venezuela. Like it's it's. <laughs> I'd watch that HBO show. That's not fun. <laughs> the uh, I, I the I, I think like something also is that like with I think that Israel problems and anti-Semitism mm-hmm. get smushed together in the most uncomfortable way possible, and I think that a lot of times like anti-Semitism upticks when Israel stuff gets funky. And I think that people often will use the, I don't know how I feel. I like, I don't, I disagree with Israel's government and therefore I will not really address or be concerned with anti-Semitism upticks. Yeah. And I think that that is something that, uh, you know, is just wrong. And it, it, it happens every fucking time, especially because yeah. most Jews don't fucking like Netanyahu. Like no. we, we don't agree with what the government's doing. And, it is infuriating how immediately people think that, like, oh, you're Jewish, you must think X, Y, Z about Israel, and that is why I don't care that X, Y, Z is happening to your community. It's like what happened. It's like saying all Americans are Trump supporters because when yeah. Trump was president, like that's just not that's not unfair. And um, yeah. you know the Israel problem is <laughs> the Israel problem, as if it's just a problem. Like the Solve Israel, it. like no. fuckery <laughs> yeah. is um very similar. I think in in the way that it is treated in the states as like Cuba and Venezuela. And I see a lot of correlations because well Jenny just went through this but um you <laughs> yeah. know the the idea of like a a country an external country representing somehow the American US political binary and people not wanting to inform themselves enough to have a complex view on it and just putting it as like on one or the other. I have a hard time telling people I believe in God because they automatically assume that I am an alt-right picket, a gay wedding, gay funeral. (laughs) Like I am like a bigot, right? And then if I say I'm Cuban, they think Trumper. They think Republican, conservative. And that's a really hard time for me. (laughs) Right, because like... Uh, and it happens because I see it a lot in there's like a lack of nuance in the conversation with Israel. And then there's lack of nuance in conversation with Cuban uh, political issues and Venezuelan issues. Um, and then I think the issue with the Israel issue is that it then reflects on all Jews. Everywhere. Yeah. You know how many times mm-hmm. on Twitter I get like, oh, when are you when are you going to speak out about Israel? And I'm like. Uh, why in 140 characters yeah (laughs) why yeah like a hundred i mean i can't explain what i feel and and i also am not informed enough i wasn't born a jew and then like a chip in my head about israel was just implanted like even though that even though that's what a lot of uh QAnon people think Hmm. but it's just like that's what they do in america they don't do it in venezuela uh, i got my chip yeah you got you got yeah yeah you got your jew chip in um, or as they, or as they say, the mark of the beast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My horn. <laughs> well, the point is that, like, you're very much like us in that um, you're liberal. I'm liberal. Uh, I have views and thoughts about Cuba and Venezuela and Israel that aren't uh, expressed in the nope. liberal bubble because I think I'm more moderate and nuanced with my opinion, but then I'm afraid to say it. It's because people, I, people like to have extreme polarizing takes. Yeah. Now. Like no one, no one ever wants to sit down and just be like, everyone involved in this thing is wrong. Oh, people like, love that. Why, yeah. Like people, everyone just wants to blame, like throw all of 
the energy and blame onto one the, on the one thing they understand versus like the sea of information that they're ignoring to get to this one thing when like realistically in every one of these conflicts like every side is so fucking the way that we had got into a conflict is both sides being so remarkably wrong <laughs> that it got to a point where the people living there were just accepting violence and strife and and you know it, it just yeah you know, like no that's my that's my whole take life is a highway and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Mm. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado Con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles O seas más dulcero Y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados Lego with Ego Ok, well, now I want to Shift the conversation a little bit Because, you know, we've been talking about Your religion, about Israel About your orthodox upbringing and I just want to understand how within all of this, you won an award two. in the adult film industry. Two. Two. <laughs> like one, you two. won two. Two, two awards. Wow. Yeah, actually, let me take, what is it called? The AVN Awards? The AVN. Let me take you guys on a little bit of a trip. Oh, we're going to look at the trophies? We're going to look at the trophies. On oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We're going to look at the... So the, these are... These are Whoa! Oh my God! These and this are your is born and trophies. this is the Alexander Hamilton <gasps> that I was oh given. Oh my yeah. God! Okay, so you. I'm have, so turned on right now. So those uh, Oscars, those look like Oscars that are having sex. They are. And I then, call. I joking that they're uh, Mr. <laughs> that they're Irina Wayne Levine has, has been the joke <laughs> that my parents hate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so how does a Orthodox Jew boy and only I can call hmm. you Orthodox Jew boy Jenny? You tried Jenny to say cannot. Orthodox Jew boy. If and UTA you will be. <laughs> um, how how yes. how do you you wrote a porn? So basically, what happened was that I so I was I was an entertainment journalist for a while, which mm-hmm. was awesome. I was I uh, covered like I wrote like four to five articles about the Kardashians every day. And what a dream! What an American dream! Loved it. I mean, if you wanted, to, I truly no more fascinating people on the planet. They I used to write, I used to write all these conspiracy theory articles about them about like uh, everything bad that has happened to the Kardashians in the past like seven years has happened in the last week of September or the first two weeks of October, like straight up. Okay. Mm. But the, what does that mean? Like the nude leaks, sorry, nude leaks, like uh, uh, Lamar's stroke, uh, Kim's robbery, like divorces, pregnancies, it all happens in the same three weeks. That's how they control like the flow of information from their family. There's never more than two Kardashians trending at once. I don't know what it's like now, but like back in like 2016 or something, it was like anytime Kendall, anytime like modeling season would go down, like Kylie Lipkit would like release a new thing or like if like this sounds exhausting. It this was, sounds it, like you're this sounds like you're part of Canon. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow. Wow. Bam. Bam. Wow. Bam. You Thank you so much. Tweet that. This is why I went to college. Yeah. <laughs> That is incredible. Us Weekly is K and You have to 
Okay. I didn't know this side of you, this Kardashian loving side. Oh my um, God. All I would do, I, I, cause I came in there from like, I didn't come in there from a place of reverence. I came in there because it was like a job. It was like a writing job. So mm-hmm. I came in there from like, I was like covering like hockey news and hard news before that. So I like came in with like that same, but with that same like angle, but like for the Kardashians and Taylor Swift. But did you give a shit at all about these people? And then suddenly you have to like. No, it was hilarious. <laughs> it was so funny. I didn't care about these celebrities at all, but I would like write about them. Like, like oh, it was like God. make or break. I, for two years, I would write oh, like a boy. high school girl. I can't believe we're talking about the Kardashians. Um, I vowed when I began this podcast, we wouldn't come be here, but here, here we, we are. are. So they start doing like a, so I asked them to start doing video stuff. And I ended up doing three weird jobs with them. And, uh, that were like part of this like mini doc kind of thing that they did. And the first job I was in Ringling Brothers Circus for a couple of days. What the fuck? Wait, what do you mean join the circus? Aton, what like, is happening? You, oh my God. Without any skills? Did you know how to walk on a tightrope? Get what? Well, that's the thing is that like I had, I had a, they had like, you know, like anytime a newscaster goes to the circus, they're like, here, hang with the dogs. Like you're the contortionist. Oh, like right. try to ride a unicycle, which I couldn't do. Uh, and uh, also, I mean, the, the funny thing about the circus is everyone in the circus is hot. Okay. Oh, I know where this is going. And everyone is like a contortionist or like oh, bodybuilder or like a Brazilian dude on a bike in a, in a mm-hmm. giant iron dome. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you guys all fucking like, what is happening? You guys all fucking. And they go, uh, listen, we can't talk about it because it's a family organization, but <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're fucking. We're oh 100% fucking we're fucking. God. This is everyone in the circus is fucking. So, that's the first thing. So wait, as a reporter, you were actually trying to see who was fucking who because of all your like Kardashian background. That's what your job was. There was a vi- even the clowns were hot, which was hilarious. <laughs> and they're all like old, I mean, they're all UCB performers. That was like the whole thing. They all like had like improv training, so they're all hot and yes anding, which is uh Wow. Yeah, I know. Hey, wow. Transferable skills. Uh and that's the thing about the circus. The second thing was that uh, I was in the, I was in the paparazzi for a week, uh, which was another uh, the mind fuck. There was that I went in there thinking like the paparazzi would be scummy, and what I left was that everyone is scummy. Wait, what do you mean you were in the paparazzi? You were part. You were a paparazzi photographer. Yeah, I, <laughs> I no. This was this was I, I emailed. I think I'm really good, I'm really good at getting access to stuff. Like that's like the thing is that like I was so good at like if I had an idea for a video, and this plays into the porn thing, but this all is leading up to the porn thing. What the interesting thing about the paparazzi was that we had got there and like we knew where the celebrities were. Okay, so like the reason we knew where these people lived were because the publicists and the managers will tell the paparazzi where their clients are going to be what? so that they can go get pictures. So like, first of all, if you ever notice, like, like when someone's, when, when like a paparazzi person, when, sorry, when a celebrity is like, is um like being photographed, like the, the, the labels out, like, it's always like, it's not like the bag is like this way. The bag's always like facing the camera. You mean the label for wh- whatever brand they're wearing that day is out. Yeah. It's like, it's like not only it's like, it's angled towards. So that's like the first thing. The second thing is that, the managers and the PR people give the paparazzi the locations of their stars, knowing full well that the paparazzi frequently will follow the stars until they go home so that they can know where their homes are. So we knew where Ariel Winter lives. We knew where Vanessa Hudgens lived just because we had been, fo- we, 
the their managers gave the paparazzi information about where they were going to be so that they can follow them. So the paparazzi are wrong because they overstep constantly. And the managers are wrong because they're giving people this information. It just, it was like, it was such a fucking like, everyone is wrong here. And that is part of the problem. Because then the celebrities will go on and talk about how bad the paparazzi are. The celebrities know full well what their managers are doing. And the managers yeah. have this conversation with them where they're like, you want to become famous? Like you're going to require the paparazzi to follow you around. And you can't unsign them. Like you can't turn it off. Like the more famous you want to become, the bigger problem they're going to be. And this is what you're agreeing to. Eitan, where, where's the porn? And now we're going to the porn. Jesus Christ. Okay. Third part of this like docuseries was that we had, I, I pitched them to like become a staff writer for a porn website. Like Pornhub has a PR company. Wait, 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 Eitan, wait, 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 wait. Sorry. So did you try to like, you wanted to be a writer for the porn websites as a, as like an experiment? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was curious what the pitch process was like in porn. I honestly was like, how does a, how does a parody porn get me? That was like the bigger question. It was a, the original idea also was to like, can I write like the best script, like the most emotionful, like the best porn script. And then it kind of evolved to like getting a, a porn company to like take pitches. And then eventually those pitches, uh, yeah, they, they accepted Hamilton. Uh, uh. The porn companies have PR companies because Pornhub has like a scholarship program and stuff. They do like some philanthropy. So they, I really, this was a bunch of me emailing people and having them say yes to, to this project um, until it gave, gave me like an audience with Wood Rocket, which is a porn studio and they do parody porn. I pitched them Hamilton. They picked it up and then we filmed. Oh. So we went to Vegas to write the porn. And then while we were there, uh, you know, like I, we saw the set, we, we did, I, I, Wood Rocket is famous because they uh, made uh, SpongeBob Squareballs, uh, oh Ass Venture Time, Strokemon, uh, Fap Stroke to the Future. Gotta fap them all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, Hamilton fit into the catalog, uh, to, to the Criterion collection over there. And uh, they made, so eventually the issue was that the guy that owned the company got sick. So I just thought that Hamilton wasn't going to get made. And uh, eventually I get a, a friend of mine texts me and goes like, hey, a friend of mine got cast to write the music for your porn. And I was like, oh, my God, like, that's crazy. That that's that's since I thought they weren't going to make it. And I call him, the, the guy that runs the studio. And I was like, are you guys making the porn? And, they, and he goes, yeah, we've been emailing you. And I'm like, oh, my email got shut down because Elite Daily had fired everybody by this point. So oh. the email and he was like, yeah, we were tweeting at you. And the thing is, my name is Aton Levine, very Jewish name. I don't know who the hell he was tweeting at, but he was tweeting at someone that was like, hey, Aton, I'm making your porno. This poor like, rabbi in Wisconsin is like, what the hell, man? <laughs> like, what I don't say, Miriam, I don't know what this is. I swear to God. Oh, uh, my God. And then they make it. And then uh, a couple months later, I get an e email from him that it gets nominated for four <laughs> AVN awards, which was like crazy uh, for best featurette, best marketing campaign. Uh, and uh, soundtrack clever title and then like i think yeah that was four and then uh the idea was also when i got nominated uh was to do like a four-year consideration campaign so for about two weeks we had like filmed this thing where we like you could buy like a, a hamilton from dk's donuts or like the, the guy that wrote uh friday by rebecca black wrote us an anthem and oh uh God. yeah so it was like this whole thing and we uh 
it, we went, I went to the red carpet. I was, I, I interviewed on the red carpet, um, a bunch of people. So you wrote a born almost like, uh, as a joke. And then it made, it got made. It was, and then it I got mean, made. this was, it was a joke that kept on like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. What? Like, just, yeah, that sounds like a fucking blast. Like I, <laughs> It was insane. I wasn't there for the actual filming, uh, which is fine. I did not want to be there for that. I'll never do it again. I don't want to be porn guy. Uh, I mean, I get it. I almost edited porn in Miami. What? Jenny? For Bang Bros. Jenny, hello. Yes, uh, Joanna. What? You almost edited porn? Why do you think I moved to LA? In Miami, you have two options. Work at Univision until you're 95 years old or work in the porn. I have a bunch of friends that still work in the porn industry till this day in Miami because they left film school and that's, it pays well. And I mean, it also a, a, a porn, a, a for years and years and years, it was very much a community that was run by the producers and directors and stuff like that. And over the past couple of years because of OnlyFans and stuff like that. It's given a lot more agency to the actresses yes. in it and yes. stuff. So porn right now is a very different, it's it's like weirdly one of the only uh age it's, it's, it's one of the only business communities where like women have a lot more yeah. agency in in the community. They're able to run their own businesses a lot more. I have a lot of friends that did very, very well during the pandemic mm-hmm. OnlyFans. Oh yeah, me too. I feel left out. I'm like the only person here that like ne- has no hasn't even dipped her toes in like you know producing or editing. Or Do you know how much money those porn. toes can make you? <laughs> oh, I know. I'm on WikiFeet, Joanna. I'm pretty sure you're on WikiFeet, Joanna. I'm I'm on WikiFeet. I I am. I was confused. I like and I like I know Freud and like I understand uh, what fetishes are, but I didn't understand it was a it was a foot fetish site. Until like oh. I kept on saying like I don't know why my feet are on this like site <laughs> called the Wiki Feet and one of my friends one day was just like dude that's for people that are into feet. And I was like you can make money. Oh, I feel so exposed. Like yeah. my feet are. I'm not gonna lie. I have a friend that made that made like 500 something grand like over Corona showing her feet to people. No, Aton, no. please stop. Please don't right do now this to in me. this moment. In in this moment. In this fucking moment. Do not shit me. <laughs> Just for her feet? Oh, wait, on OnlyFans? Because let me tell she you, have... I get complimented a lot on my feet. You're leaving oh money God. on the table. Aton, <laughs> if if my co-host leaves to follow a career in, in feet fetish, I am going to be so pissed. It's all your fault. Let me rep you. Listen. <laughs> Listen. WME. I've talked about it with my husband. I'm like, Mira, should I just, you know, put some... I always have my toes done. And, you know, (laughs) we went from like Orthodox Jew to like childhood to the circus to porn. Aton Levine, this has been such a interesting conversation. (laughs) Um, Me and Jenny need a moment to just sort of have any questions. Let me know. Synthesize everything we just spoke. We're going to come back and do a a documentary on this uh, on Hamilton. A a documentary. I've been calling myself Skin Manuel Miranda for about a year, so... Jesus. Oh, God. <laughs> this devolved. We we talked about the Israeli-Palestinian crisis and also this. And you know what the thing is? I am not afraid of anything that I said here. 
No, that's <laughs> that's freeing and beautiful. All right. Thank you guys so much. This was so much fun. Thank, Thank you. you, Aton. Bye. Bye. This conversation was crazy, um, but I think it sort of reiterates the thesis of what we wanted to talk about, which was, you know, where you start out is very rarely where you end up. And we started out talking about Orthodox Judaism and got Kim Kardashian. We got the Israeli-Palestinian crisis. We have the circus. We have porn. And that was the conversation with Aton Levine. I am inspired. <laughs> I am tired and inspired. Tired and inspired. Tired and inspired. You know, we started this saying there's no form to be, there's no way we could be inspired. I am this awake now. <laughs> I feel like I just got off a roller coaster at Six Flags. Oh my God. It's Sex Flags. I am ah! like, <laughs> this is the raunchiest episode of, of, hyphenated i think we've ever done but you know i Um, I love how i love how open he was about that because i too have those thoughts like when i go to like carnivals i would always be like i'd see the trailers in the back and i'm like they fucking this this has been my thoughts since i was like a fucking kid oh my god mira yo soy una sucia yo soy una sucia you know what but but you know they're fucking though Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego.